0: welcome to disputes digest for the week of february 13th 2023 i'm chris campbell and wishing you a happy valentine's week look we've got a bunch of great content for you this week so let's just jump into it all right team tot we've got an interesting story to start off with you today a recent decision by the new jersey appellate division has shaken up the interpretation of arbitration clauses in commercial contracts Namely, in the case County of Passaic versus Horizon Healthcare Services Inc., the court ruled that arbitration clauses between two sophisticated parties or parties with an equal bargaining power do not need to explicitly waive the rights to go to court to be enforceable. This decision diverges from the New Jersey Supreme Court's 2014 decision in Adelis versus U.S. Legal Services Group which required arbitration clauses to include an explicit waiver of the right to seek relief in a court of law. In Passaic, plaintiff contracted with the defendant health organization to manage its self-funded health benefit plan. When the contract expired, the county filed a lawsuit alleging that Horizon breached the contract by failing to implement certain reimbursement rates. In response, Horizon moved to compel arbitration based on the arbitration clause in their agreement, which simply stated that all disputes would be submitted to binding arbitration with the American Arbitration Association, or AAA. The clause did not state that the parties were waiving their right to go to court or explain how arbitration differed from a judicial proceeding. The appellate division affirmed the trial court's decision to compel arbitration, stating that Adelise only applied to consumer and employment contracts due to the unequal relationship between the contracting parties. Leverage power. Since the county was a sophisticated commercial litigant represented by counsel and its multi-year relationship with the defendant was not a contract of adhesion, and as such, the Adelise requirements did not apply. This decision could result in an inconsistent enforcement of arbitral provisions throughout the jurisdiction and certainly within the facts that might differ in this case. While individuals who sign employment and consumer contracts will still enjoy the protections of Adelise, those who sign commercial contracts in a different capacity will be vulnerable to arbitration as set forth in County of Passaic. So that's it for now. What's the lesson here? Don't forget to read the fine print and to specifically confer with counsel to ensure that local interpretation of arbitration clauses can apply from one jurisdiction to another. From there, let's head to the Cayman Islands, as the Cayman Islands Grand Court, where Justice Cowley confirmed that interim arbitration awards may be enforced as judgments in the Cayman Islands. This ruling is a significant development as it provides a useful strategic opportunity for parties engaged in ongoing arbitrations. The Cayman Islands Foreign Arbitral Awards Act of 1997, FAAEA, offers a straightforward process for the recognition of arbitration awards made in pursuance to an arbitration agreement of a state that is a party to the New York Convention, which has 172 parties as of January of this year. Although the FAAEA does not explicitly provide for enforcement of provisional or interim awards, the Cayman Islands Arbitration Act of 2012 does. Justice Kawalee considered that the FAAEA implicitly expanded to incorporate not just the final award provisions of the 2012 Act, but the interim measures enforcement provisions as well. He noted that this approach preserves the traditional view of the FAAEA as the umbrella statute governing the enforcement of foreign arbitration awards. While this ruling is beneficial for arbitration creditors as it confirms the arbitration awards are paramount, it was made in an ex parte hearing, which leaves open the opportunity for challenge. Orders of this nature usually contain a provision staying enforcement of a particular period, usually of at least 28 days, if served outside the jurisdiction. Therefore, it is not yet known whether there will be attempts to set aside this judgment. In conclusion, the ruling provides a strategic opportunity for parties to consider the enforcement of arbitration awards across jurisdictions. However, parties need to take appropriate steps to ensure the effective enforceability of those awards pending the determination of the final proceedings. It remains to be seen how the ruling will impact arbitration proceedings but it is a step in the right direction for promoting the use of arbitration as a means of dispute resolution. Next up, folks, let's talk about developments in Europe. The European Parliament has passed a resolution on third party funding, and some people are saying it's a step too far. Now, for those of you who may be unaware, third party funding is when an outside party provides financial support to one of the parties in an arbitration dispute. This is arguably a controversial practice because some worry that it can undermine the integrity of the arbitration proceedings. But the European Parliament's resolution goes beyond just expressing concern about third-party funding. It actually calls for a ban on the practice altogether, and that's got some people worried. The resolution was passed in response to concerns about the role that third-party funders may be playing in Investor State Dispute Settlement, or ISDS, cases. These are cases where foreign investors sue governments for alleged violations of their rights. The resolution argues that third party funders may be encouraging more investor state disputes, which could undermine the sovereignty of European states. And it calls for a ban on third party funding in all ISDS cases. But some critics say that the resolution goes too far. They worry that a ban on third party funding could limit access to justice for some parties, especially smaller players who might not have the financial resources to bring a case on their own against the sovereign nation. Others argue that there are already regulations in place to ensure that third-party funders don't have too much influence over the outcome of a case, so a blanket ban would not be necessary. So, there you have it folks, the European Parliament's resolution on third party funding has some people worried that it has gone a bit too far. But others argue that it's an important step to protect the integrity of arbitration as a process. Only time will tell which side will win this debate. Then, let's talk about one of the marquee and regular star events in international disputes. Of course, I'm talking about the Queen Mary University of London, which recently conducted a survey titled Future of International Energy Arbitration Survey Report 2022, which collected feedback from over 900 respondents from different jurisdictions, practitioners, and experts across the energy sector. The survey had two primary focuses. First, the cause of disputes in the short to medium term future. And second, how international arbitration can adapt to the energy sector's needs. The survey identified the potential causes of energy disputes, including raw material costs and energy unit prices, construction processes of energy assets, procurement and supply chain issues, changes in regulatory frameworks, oil and gas supply and demand, and changes in technology. The respondent noted that Europe was most likely to see acceleration in energy disputes followed by Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. The report showed that energy disputes could potentially increase during the transition to cleaner energy sources. Energy security was another concern that the survey highlighted, particularly for Europe, which relied heavily on Russia for its energy supply. Security of energy supply has accelerated domestic investments in alternative green energy and led to more attention to nuclear power as a station or source of energy. Changes to alleviate energy supply issues could lead potential disputes between foreign investors and the host state kind of calling back to the last story that we just mentioned. The report found that arbitration was the preferred dispute resolution method for energy disputes with London and Singapore to be the most popular seats of choice. The report also noted that green credentials had minimal influence on the choice of arbitration. The survey also found that third-party funding would be increasingly important in the energy arbitration sector. The report also noted that investor state arbitration was only considered as a last resort by many end users. In conclusion, the Queen Mary University of London survey report on the future of international energy arbitration highlighted the potential causes of energy disputes, the impact of energy transition, the security of energy supply, preferred dispute resolution methods, and the relevance of third-party funding. Then, for our final story of the day, the Court of Appeals in Hong Kong confirmed that res judicata could, in fact, cover disputes involving different but related parties. By way of brief background, res judicata means a matter judged in Latin. By way of brief background, res judicata, which means a matter judged in Latin, is intended to ensure the finality of judgments and protect the litigants from multiple litigations involving the same claims or issues. It broadly prevents a party from relitigating a claim, defense, or issue already decided. The principle encompasses cause of action estoppel and issue estoppel, which require mutuality and abusive process, which might bar collateral attacks on arbitration findings in proceedings with third parties. The case in question involved litigation and arbitration proceedings in relation to related claims, but not between identical parties. The plaintiff here and the second defendant entered into a construction contract, and plaintiff also entered into a conditional bond with the first defendant, an insurance company. The litigation arose when plaintiff sued the first defendant for the breach of the bond and the second defendant for the breach of the construction contract. The second defendant also started arbitration proceedings against the plaintiff for the breach of the construction contract. The Court of First instance held that an undertaking given by the first defendant would prevent inconsistent findings in the arbitration and litigation and granted a case management stay. The plaintiff then appealed the case management stay. Court of Appeals dismissed plaintiff's appeal holding that the arbitration findings would be binding in between the first defendant and the plaintiff as well. The court agreed that the cause of action estoppel or issue estoppel would not apply since the parties were not identical. However, the court found that the abusive process could apply in these circumstances, as the first defendant's liability was contingent on the second defendant's liability. And the issues were the same in the arbitration and litigation. If the arbitration findings were in favor of the plaintiff, the first defendant would be bound by its undertaking. And if the arbitration findings were against the plaintiff, it would be an abusive process to allow the plaintiff to relitigate against the first defendant. Interesting story. Finally, before we get out of here for today, we have one more exciting announcement, and it's something that we talked about last week. Tales of the Tribunal is collaborating with the Georgetown International Arbitration Society G.I.A.S. as they host the 11th Annual Georgetown International Arbitration Month. We're already halfway through it to be held between February 2nd and March 2nd, 2023. We covered the kickoff event last week and this week on February 23rd, we have the session called Damages in International Arbitration. The panel, made up of industry professionals and experts from across the field and around the globe, will get into the latest developments and tactical trends and damages calculations. Registration is still available and details can be found on the gias website that's it for disputes digest this week before we get out of here for today a quick shout out to our fellow podcast and friends from around the arbitration and friends over at the arbitration happy hour if that name sounds familiar it's because it was one of the most popular initiatives during the pandemic while they started over on Clubhouse and audio chat rooms, they have successfully ported that energy, charisma, and dynamic personality of Shvenya and Sneha and their weekly host into a great podcast. If you haven't already, go check it out. They're awesome. Thanks for tuning in to Disputes Digest, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.